And um, I believe that's it for announcements. Let me pray for us um, one more time, and then we'll get into God's Word together. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for today, for this Sunday, uh, for this time that we have set apart for you. God, we pray that at this time you would really just give us a spirit of humility. God, give us a spirit of submission. Uh, Help us to come under your word. God, we want to be like you. We want to grow in the image of you. And in order to do that, we really need to let you be uh, the Lord that you are. We really need to step into who you say we are, God, not who say we, not who we say we are. And we really pray that you would uh, allow us to do that. Holy Spirit, would you open up our minds and our hearts and help us to hear from you this morning. We entrust it to you. We thank you so much. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, you know, looking at it right now, it says killing sin, right? It looks very in your face. I don't know. It didn't, it didn't seem like that. Um, but that is what we're going to talk about today. Um, I want to ask you something. Do you want to grow in spiritual maturity? Do you actually want to grow to become holy? And when I say that, I don't mean like to become holier than thou, you know, to become holier than the person sitting next to you or to become holy so that you can lord it over someone else or so that you can, you know, look down on people who are outside the church or something like that so that you can feel good about yourself in particular so that you can feel bad about maybe what's happening in the world or about people around you. I mean, do you want to grow into the image of Christ. Like, do you want to become like Jesus? So the way that Jesus was, the way that Jesus lived, in particular when he was on this earth, because that's how we see the revealed God, right? Like, God doesn't answer the question, what should you do? You know, what should I do if I were in God's place? Because that's not really a question that we should think about, although we think about it all the time. But Jesus does answer the question, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but what would God do if he were in my place? If he were here, living on this earth, living this life in my shoes, what would God do in that situation? That's what Jesus reveals to us. And the Bible tells us that the purpose for which God has saved us, if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, is to become like Jesus, to grow in spiritual maturity, to grow in the gospel. Do you want that? Because if you do, I think particularly in church in the West, there are two main reasons. Like, if you want that, if you're like, yeah, I'm a Christian, I want to be more like Jesus. Like, that is really a serious goal of mine. I actually care about that. Because some of you, maybe you don't. Maybe that's not something that you actually care about right now. You're like, I'm into career. I'm into, you know, my relationships. I want friends. You know, and if that's where you're at, 
you know, that's totally fine. I think it's better to be honest about where you're at. But if you actually really want to grow to become like Jesus, I think particularly in the West, there are two major barriers to that. Okay, the first one is a lack of passion for biblical knowledge and understanding. A lot of Christians in the West don't read their Bibles. We don't read the Bible, and if you don't read the Bible, you can't study the Bible, and you can't meditate on the Bible, and you can't memorize the Bible, and you cannot have really a biblical framework for life. And if you don't do that, you certainly cannot become like Jesus. There's just no way. How could you if you don't know who Jesus is and how he lived and what he did and how he thought? Like to get into that, you actually need to be in the word. Now we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But I think another major barrier is a lack of devotion to the pursuit of holiness. We don't really think that we have to try to be holy, that that should be an actual goal for our lives, an actual part of our mission, our purpose. And as a subset of that, what we're going to talk about today specifically is that I think oftentimes the church and, you know, individual Christians in the church are dying spiritually, are withering away spiritually because of a lack of disgust and hatred for sin. Like, we have become incredibly tolerant of sin in our lives. Now, is that going to work? You know, is that what the Bible tells us to do? Is that how the Bible tells us to live? That's what we're going to talk about today. And so if you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to uh, Colossians. So we're in a series in Colossians. And, um, you know, this is a, a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. And it's a church he never visited. He didn't know the people. He wanted to just give them these foundational truths and principles upon which they could build their church and they could battle really the, the cultural lies of the world. And so this is Colossians chapter 3. In verse 5, and this is, uh, this is God's word, and it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all." Now, if you remember last week, we talked about, you know, the first part of Colossians chapter 3. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, right? Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And then he said, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. So Paul, the first couple chapters of Colossians, he's really just talked about Jesus. 
the supremacy of Jesus, the sufficiency of Jesus, how Jesus is all we need, how Jesus is the creator of everything, how Jesus is over every rule, over authority, every law, everything that exists that we've ever known, Jesus is above it. And Jesus is everything that we need for salvation. Jesus is everything that we need for life. We need to seek him. And then in chapter 3, he starts getting into, here's what that means for you, right? It means you should seek the things that are above because you died to that old way of life. You died to your earthly self. And here he says, in light of that, if that's no longer who you are, then you should put to death everything that's part of that old life. Right? Everything that is outside of Jesus, that you believe is valuable, that you believe is true, that you believe is right. And he, he talks about some specific things here, right? He gets into immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. And, you know, we can, he gives two what's called vice lists here and in the first list, what we see there is, and this can be kind of our first uh, point for today, put to death immorality and idolatry. Put to death immorality and idolatry. So he says sexual immorality is pri primarily referring to prohibited sexual acts, prostitution. He says impurity, this is kind of misuse of sex and applicable to various forms of moral evil. Uh, he uses the word passion, could also be translated lust, most likely refers to kind of shameful passions, evil desires, likely in context refers to illicit sexual passions. And so a lot of this is about kind of sexual immorality. Right now that would be hugely prevalent in the culture that Paul is speaking to also hugely prevalent today. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but the world is, one of the lies of the world is sex is this hugely important thing. It is the most important experience that you will ever have in your life. That's why people build their identities around it. That's why people kind of think it is who they are. That's why a lot of people think, well, God must, God must allow certain things that are explicitly prohibited in the Bible, sexual things, because he would want me to be happy. He would want me to have this experience. How could God be loving and not allow me to have these certain experiences? And that's actually Paul's point here. When you look at covetousness, so covetousness kind of seems like it comes out of nowhere, right? It's all this like, you know, I don't know, sex stuff. And then all of a sudden, he's like covetousness, which is idolatry. Why is that in there? Now, do not covet, you know, anything, your neighbor's anything, is the last commandment of the Ten Commandments. It's the Tenth Commandment. And if you think about it, and I've always thought this when I read the Ten Commandments, it's like, you know, don't, don't lie, don't steal, you know, don't murder, don't commit adultery. And then there's like coveting, which is the last one. And oftentimes people are like, well, what is that doing in there? Sometimes often we think it's not as bad as the other ones. It's like murder. Oh my gosh, that's like really bad, right? Coveting. It's like wanting, you know, something outside. It's like, is that as bad as murder? But it's the last of the... Well, so here's the thing about coveting. Uh, there's a couple reasons that it's the last commandment. First, it deals with motivation rather than action. 
So if you look at the other commandments, right, it's like don't kill, don't lie, don't steal, don't murder. Those are the horizontal ones. And it's all about don't do this, right? This is a bad thing to do. Coveting is not really doing something. It's about like a state of the heart. It's kind of this predisposition that your heart has to like want something outside, this unhealthy wanting and then secondly, it points back to the first set of commandments, one through five, which are all about God. And then the fifth one is about honor your father and mother. You know, one through four and then five. So the heart of it is really this idolatry, which is what Paul's saying here. He's saying, when you covet, when you say, God, I need this and I have to have this more than I have to have you. So God, I have to have job, you know, more than I have to have you. That's why I'm killing myself trying to find a job, but I'm not killing myself trying to be in a relationship with you or know you or be like you. So Paul says all of this, okay? You got to put this to death. This is part of your old self. Immorality, idolatry, he says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. He's saying, you used to be part of this, but you're not part of this anymore. Now, we'll get to that in a second. Let's look at the second vice list. Okay, starting in verse 8, he says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices. So this I would say, so that first one was immorality and idolatry. This I would say is put to death division and deceit. So all of these things here have to do with your mouth, right? Mostly uh, anger and wrath. It could be kind of fits of rage or violence, but in context, he's probably talking about angry things that we would say, wrathful things that we would say. And here's the thing, because this is relevant for today. <clears throat> Excuse me. A lot of us want to say angry things, and a lot of times the justification is, well, God also did these things, right? Look at the Old Testament. Look at things God would say in the Old Testament. But this is a key thing that we have to understand. We're not God. God is perfect in justice. Like, there is no sin in God. I'm not saying we shouldn't have righteous anger for certain things. We, sh we certainly should. But we also need to be a little careful how hard we go, you know, when accusing people or accusing whatever of sin because our perspective is not perfect. That often leads to, you know, a righteous anger, something that starts with a righteous anger can often lead to sin, what we think is a righteous anger. Then he goes, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. This is painting others in an unfairly negative light. Obscene talk, he's probably talking specifically about more destructive talk in context. So basically breaking relationships, messing up the church. So um, 
when I was when I was young, when I was a kid, um, my my brother and sister basically raised me. Um, you know, my parents they worked a lot, and um, they already had two older kids. You know, I have an older brother and sister, and they're like four and five years older than me. So, you know, my parents are probably like they could take they could handle it, right? And so by the time I was like four or five, I was like. I mean, watching like horror movies, you know, like like rated R movies, like just all like they're teaching me every every like you know curse word and stuff like that. Like in kindergarten, I would be saying all those things. That's crazy. That's the age of my son right now, right? He's he's six. But by that time, I already knew every curse word. Like I was like saying all these terrible things, you know, because you probably shouldn't have you know a, a ten and eleven year old sibling raising like a, a four or five year old kid, right? But um, and my, my brother and sister, they used to torture me like crazy. My brother would just, he would do all kinds, they would lock me in the closet, you know, and just wait till I would cry. And then they would, they would let me out, you know, like everything was, they would wait till I would cry. They would bury me in these like really thick blankets. Um, and I would just be like, uh, like li- for like 30 minutes. Like literally, I'm just like, after like five minutes, I'm like, I've already quit and I'm not trying to get out. I've just like, you know, accepted my fate, but I'm not crying. And I, it would take like 30 minutes. I'm like, I think I'm done. You know, and I'll start like crying. And then they're like, okay, fine. We'll like, we'll let you out, right? So when I was like seven or eight, uh, I started carrying a bat around with me, <laughs> like in my own house, right? I would carry this, the, we had this like aluminum bat, like my brother was in Little League or whatever, and I would like carry it around with me, So, and I would swing it at them, like when they would try to do, like they would try to, you know, whatever, do stuff to me. Now this is obviously incredibly dysfunctional. Uh, my family was super dysfunctional when I was like, but, probably like many of yours, but, my point is, when I did that, now that was obviously dumb and bad, but I was like seven years old or like eight years old, and I thought, because I actually, my brother and sister actually were scared of me at a certain point when I was like eight or nine, because they were like, man, this kid's a little crazy, right? Like, he's really, he's really swinging. He might actually do something to harm us. Obviously, I grew out of that. I was young when I was doing that, right? But today, it's almost like cool to do that as an adult. Like it's almost glorified in our culture to be like savage, you know, to just be like, oh yeah, I love this person. They just own people. You know, they never lose. Like they're always on top. And somehow, that mentality, people love it. People love leaders like that, you know, in every context. That, oh, they're so, look at them. They're so strong. They're so, they just put down other people. When people step up to them, they just like shut them down. That's so good. That's great. That's the person I want to be. If that's your mentality, one, that's certainly not biblical. I mean, yes, Jesus, Jesus was as savage as they come, okay? But not usually, right? Like, read the Gospels. Not usually. Idolizing, taking revenge, idolizing, being able to destroy people or put them down or put them in their place— 
it's not only foolish, it is in fact sinful. It is in fact a part of your old self. And Paul says, you know, I, I think both morally and practically that doesn't work. Now, immorality, idolatry, divisive practices, and then he says deceitful practices. He says, don't lie. He says, this lying about your life, this lying about who you are, this veneer, this trying to put up a show and say, I hope people never discover who I truly am, that doesn't work, and that is sinful. It's part of your old life. Now remember, I just want to, before you start feeling, I, I do hope, maybe the weight of some of these things is, is starting to open up. And that's a good thing. But Paul appeals to their identity, remember. He says, that's not who you are. And if you let that in, the Bible tells us it's very dangerous Which is why we must put these things to death. Now that's a really interesting terminology, right? Because I think oftentimes we'll read something like that in the Bible and it's like, oh yeah, you know, put it to death. Do you really think about that? Sin in you, you should be trying to kill it. You know, I, I go to the park with my kids, um, we go to like Craig Regional Park. It's in Fullerton. And um, there's like a bunch of ducks there. <laughs> there are a lot of ducks and geese. There's like this big, you know, what do you call that? Is it a lake? I don't know. It's man-made. I guess it's a lake. You know, whatever, right? There's a, there's a big water thing there. And, you know, uh, there's all these ducks and geese. And whenever they, they like to scooter, and there's just a bunch of poo there, <laughs> like poop is just all over the place because it's from these ducks, I guess, you know, and they, they go around and it's just like the, the whole, the whole sidewalk is just laden with, with poop. And I just want you to, my voice did something funny there, you know, but I just want you to imagine, okay, like, I'm sorry, this is, this is a little gross, but I, I want you to imagine that there's like this poop and imagine my son came to me one day and he's like, you know, covered in poop. Right, he's just like covered in poop. And he's like, Dad, you know. Uh, and I'm like, what's up, buddy? <laughs> and he's like, Dad, I found this, 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 this pond of poop over there. And I jumped in it, and I'm just like covered in it, right? And, you know, I say, okay, show me. And I go, there's just like a puddle of, there's like a pond of poop there, just, just there. And imagine not only poop, it's like there's blood in the in the poop. It's, it's a bloody poop, okay? And he's, he's covered in it. And imagine, okay, not just that, there's a snake in there, okay? There's like a deadly snake in this bloody poop, okay? And it's like coming out, and then it comes to my son, and my son's like, look, Dad, you know, it's a bloody, poopy, poisonous snake, and he's holding it up, and he's like, hey, Dad, look, cool, like I found this. Can we take it home? And I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, let's, let's go home. Let's take the bloody poopy snake home. You know, and we take it home and it's just chilling in our house. Now, if that actually happened, if you knew that I did that, 
Okay, if, if, if the leaders of this church and we're on a, we're, you know, we have meetings, you know, every other week and we're on this leaders meeting and I'm like, hey guys, you know, I got a bloody poopy snake, you know, poisonous snake as a pet, you know, we call it deadly, you know, because that's what it is. And it's just like lives in our house. Can you imagine, like, wouldn't that be weird? Like, wouldn't the leaders be like, that's, no, uh, <laughs> like, I don't think you should do that. Like, you should get get rid of that <laughs> like that shouldn't be in your house because yeah that's what sin is it is cuz it's not enough to be like oh it's deadly because it's not enough to be like oh it's it's disgusting because that's what it is and again i'm not saying any of this if you have sin or you're in sin that you will feel like shamed that's that's not the point the point that paul is making is this thing is deadly and it's dead it's part of your dead life it's already out god's already changed you why would you like if i was living in a habitat filled with bloody poopy snakes, like if that's where I lived, if I lived there and that's all that was around me, then of course you have to just live with that. But what Paul is saying is God has pulled you out of that. Yeah, now you live in this like nice home that he has created for you by the blood of Christ because Jesus has taken on all of that filth because he has taken on all of that danger upon himself because he sacrificed himself because he died and rose again to get you out of that, why would you keep one in your house as a pet? Well, that, that makes no sense. That's why Paul is saying, you got to kill that thing. You have to put that to death. It's not cool to just leave that hanging around you, hanging around your community, hanging around your family. Now, I would, I highly recommend, um, you know, John Owen's The Mortification of Sin. Great book. I think if you just read through that, it's actually not that long. It would really convict you of what sin is and kind of give you a lot in terms of how to battle sin. I want to give you just a little bit from it. But I do recommend, if you're serious, like you seriously want to battle sin, I highly recommend uh, picking up the book. But I, I want to give you just a little bit from it. Um, some of the things he says, what, what killing sin isn't, because I want us to understand, okay, if we want to actually step into this, we've identified what some of these sins are that Paul is talking about and why they're so dangerous and why we need to leave it behind and we really need to kill it. Well, uh, John Owen, he says, what it isn't, it is not permanently removing it. Okay? So as long as we're in this life, we're going to battle sin. Right? We're never going to be 100% perfect. You know, that doesn't happen until, and Paul just said that, right? When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. It's only when we actually get, when Jesus comes back and we're with him, that we will ever, you know, arrive. We talked about that last week, Right? And so it's not about, you know, what does it mean to kill sin? It's not about permanently removing it because that will never happen in this life. It's not about behavior modification. 
So it's not just about changing your external behavior. It's not about diverting to some other outlet. So it's not about if I was really addicted to this, I'm going to move it over and be addicted to this now. You know, there was this thing that was part of my life. I was really, you know, I have a substance abuse problem and this is my, and then now I'm going to move it over to this different substance and now this is my problem. It's, that's not what it is. And it's not just about occasionally overcoming it. Killing sin is not just, oh, I, had, I had a good week this week. I was good this week. And then next week you fail. What killing sin is, according to John Owen, it's about the regular habit of weakening sin in you. So it is decreasing in your life. It is becoming less and less and less. It is, too, constantly fighting against it. See, and I think this is the one where most Christians, we just don't think about this. Your life is meant to be, because sin is never going to be completely gone from your life as long as you're part of this life, as long as we're living this life. Meaning, we have to constantly be fighting against sin. It is a lifelong battle it's not just like, ah, uh, you know, I'm going to try to stop today. You know, I'm going to try not to do this today. I'm going to be cool for today. And then you get through that day. And look, if you get through that day, that's great. That's a victory. But then it shouldn't be the next day. It's like, all right, cool. Like I did it. It's past. And finally, what killing sin is, is it's frequent success against temptation. So yeah, it doesn't mean like 100%, right? But it means more often than not, it means, yeah, a lot of the time, I am actually having victory over this. Dang, I have a lot of notes left. I'm going to try to, <laughs> I'm going to have to cut some things here. But I'm going to say a couple other things here. Because uh, he gives two prerequisites in his book too. And I just wanted to cover these things. One, to, to actually kill sin. One, you actually, you have to be a real believer. In fact, he says, if you're not a believer and you try to kill sin, it often makes sin worse. So that's, that's one. Two, he says, you must sincerely pursue universal obedience to God. Meaning, you can't just look at one thing in your life and be like, I want to stop doing this thing. Because that's not how it works. How it works is you say, first, Jesus, I want you to be in total control over my life. So whatever you reveal to me, whatever you show me is going on, I'm going to accept that. And I'm actually going to go after that. I'm going to actually try to kill that. Because there probably are things, well, there are definitely things that you have no idea are even sins in your life. You know, there's probably some obvious thing over here and you do know about it. And then there's all this other stuff that's underneath that you have no idea. And as Jesus reveals those things to us, as the Holy Spirit reveals those things to us, we have to, as Christians, say, I want all of the, I want every part of my life to come under you, God. And that's the only way that you will actually be able to battle sin out. Okay, I'm going to try to 
wrap up because I still have a lot. But I want to, because I don't want to leave you without uh, a, a few practical things, okay? So here, are, I'm going to give you three practical things, three practical ways to, to kill sin actively in your life. First one is trust in the absolute necessity of God's word. You must believe that to have any, any attempt to battle sin in your life, you need the word, right? Ephesians 6.17 calls the word of God what? The sword of the spirit. This, this word, this is the only offensive weapon that you have against Satan. Satan's coming at you every day. He's coming at you every single day. He's coming at you with immorality. He's coming at you with idolatry. He's coming at you with division. He's coming at you with deceit. He wants to lie to you. He wants to trick you. He wants you to be constantly worried paranoid, fearful, doubtful, doubting yourself, doubting the people around you. He wants you to be cynical. He wants you to be judging people. He wants you to think you're okay when you're not okay. He wants you to be going to hell and yet think you're going to heaven. That is Satan's game plan. And you have one weapon, one offensive weapon against Satan. It's this. It's the word of God. If you go into battle without your one offensive weapon, you have no chance. Actually, we went, my life group, we went shooting yesterday, went to the shooting range, you know, we're like shooting guns. And, um, yeah, I don't do that a ton because I'm a pastor, but um, it was fun. You know, you're like, you're like just to, you know, at targets and stuff. And, um, I mean, can you imagine? Because once you, and for, you know, I know some of you guys have gone and stuff. It's like, can you imagine going into a battle with no weapon? Like if you're really on the line, lives are on the line, someone's attacking your family, and it's, you know, real war, and it's like, let's just say it's Old Testament times, but with modern weapons. You know, and God's like, all right, guys, we're going to war, and you just go out there and you got nothing? What chance do you have? Of course, we're not fighting a physical war. We're fighting a spiritual war. This is the one weapon. You need this. You need this. Okay, here's point two, how to battle sin. Trust in the power of God's people. Trust in the power of God's community I want to just touch here on the end. It says here, verse 11, right? It says here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. Now, real quick, a Scythian was someone who lived north of the Black Sea. And sometimes when people interpret this passage, they say Scythians were like extreme examples of barbarians. But uh, the problem with that is then the the... The, the categories don't make sense, right? If it's like Greek and Jew, because those are contrasting, right? Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, obviously contrasting. Barbarian, Scythian, if it's like barbarian, but then a Scythian is a worse barbarian, then that doesn't make sense. So uh, a more plausible case has been proposed by uh, Douglas Campbell. You guys all know who that is, right? No, you don't know. <laughs> um, you know, who uh, basically, he understood... Uh, Slaves, as opposed to uh, Scythians, were the slaves as opposed to the free barbarians. 
because this, this was also a cultural thing as it was understood. So basically, Greek and Jews, circumcised and uncircumcised, it's, uh, if you drew it as a diagram, it's kind of crossing, they're cross-related to each other. So Greek and Jews, circumcised, uncircumcised, and then barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, uh, the barbarians free, and then the Scythian slaves. So basically, he's just showing contrasting groups, and he's saying uh, his point, you are not just a new person, but you're part of a new people, right? Even these contrasting groups come together under Jesus to make one new people, one new humanity. And in your battle against sin, don't do it alone. Don't be by yourself a lone ranger. You won't succeed that way. Now, if you're a believer, so, so I've had this conversation with a lot of people, okay? I, I had this conversation with a friend of mine recently at a wedding. And, you know, he's going to this big church, right? And I was like, oh, like, why did you decide to go there? And he said, because, you know, I just, I really just want to, like, slip in and slip out. You know, I really just want to, like, go and be anonymous and then leave and just, like, I don't know. Like, I just, I like that. Now, I've heard that so many times from people. Okay, now, I don't think it's wrong by any stretch to go to a big church. But I think to go there because you want to be anonymous is absolutely unbiblical. Is absolutely you are playing directly into Satan's hands. I bet he wants everybody in, in the church to think that. Like, I just want to go there, so like, I don't want to be bothered. You know, I don't want to feel obligated. I don't want to serve. You know, I don't want people to know what's going on in my life. I just want to like slip in, slip in. I just want to, you know, hear some message. Hopefully it's cool. Maybe they have a bunch of events. Like, I'll go once in a while. I'll go to this. I'll go to that. That's exactly what Satan wants you to think. That's exactly how he wants you to live. Because then you will be completely free from accountability. There will be nobody in your life to tell you that you have a poopy, bloody snake in your living room and you've been living with that thing for like 10 years, for 20 years. There will be nobody to tell you when you tell yourself a lie about yourself or about the person next to you. There will be nobody to correct you. There will be nobody to say, hey man, is that really gospel? Did they really say that? Are you sure? What God intends for his people is to be less like a social club, to be more like an army, not a physical army, a spiritual one, equipped with God's word, going, trying to make much of Jesus, to be like him, and to tell people about him. And here's the final thing. So you need God's word. You got to trust in the power of God's word. You got to trust in community, the community of God. And um, here's the final thing. Trust in who you are in Christ. So killing sin is not about earning salvation. Okay, if you're in Christ, you've already been given the gift of salvation. So don't ever 
like get this twisted, right? Don't ever make it... Like so many of our sins come from the idea that we have to run and hide, that we have to preemptively attack, that we have to be cynical, that we have to be defensive, that we have to be paranoid because no one's looking out for us. You know, no one's got our back. Now, yes, community mitigates that, but what will help you most to actually be equipped to fight sin is knowing that no matter what happens, God has your back. No matter what, like God is not watching you to see if you will kill sin because he's got his hand on the lever and if you fail, then he's going to pull the lever and then you're going to fall to hell. That's not what's going on here. Right? God is watching like a loving father. He's saying, I've already given you this gift and you have the taste of this gift in Christ. And he, but he wants you to have like the fullness of the gift. You know what I'm saying? Like he's laid out this amazing spread for you. And if you're in Christ, you know, you have initially tasted. But he's like, oh man, but you got to try this. Like you have to try this, this steak right here. Like you have to try this lobster. You got to try this dessert. It's amazing. Like you have to try that. You have to try. That's what God has as we kill sin. And you know, next week we're going to, we've talked about the putting off. We're going to talk about the putting on next week, what we put on instead of sin. But that's God's mud. He loves you. That's why he sent his son. You got to trust in that and believe in that and go back to that day in and day out. And church, I'm telling you, as we engage in this, we will have victory over sin. We do put sin to death. We do put it behind us and move into the things that God has for us. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much that you have fully saved us and fully equipped us to be able to kill sin to kill sin in our lives, to continuously, habitually, as we fight sin, for it to die in us, God, for it to wither away, for it to be exposed by you, and for our hearts to be healed, to be redeemed and restored and increasingly open to all the good things that you have for us. Holy Spirit, we pray and we ask that you would, if any of us, God, have been convicted by your word and by you, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would give us courage, give us strength to step into mechanisms of faith that you have given us to battle sin, to step into the necessity of your word, the sword of the spirit that we can use to battle the lies of Satan with your promises, God, to step into the power of community and confession and transparency, to step into the power of the gospel of you, Jesus, and what you've done the incredible love and grace that you have opened up by your sacrifice. 
God, we entrust that to you. We pray in faith and in hope uh, that you will give us the victory in you. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.